Hello, and welcome to Reuse Your Old Adventures, an interactive audiobook experience. I'm joined uh, this episode by Kat Sebastian. Kat, hello. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for, for agreeing to come on the show. and Thank uh, you for asking me. <laughs> listen to me read, read you a book from the 1980s. Um, awesome. <laughs> so uh, the basic premise of the show is I've got an old Choosable Path book that was, was very common in the, in the 1980s. Um, oh, yeah. I, I learned to read. I learned to read with those. Like they were, <laughs> like they were my first. They're choose your own adventure in America. I assume that we're talking about the same, the same thing. And um, yeah, that, those were like my first format, library yeah. book. Did it kind of trip you up when you when you had to sort of read books that weren't, you know, that were actually like in page order, where you didn't have to flip around, where you know you wouldn't read like page three and then go to page one hundred and seven. I remember being thinking it was upsetting not to have a like a, a definite ending. You know, because like, you can just go back and redo it. But obviously it must have worked for me because I just kept reading them, you know, one after the other. So <laughs> I guess I liked it. Well, that's good. It's good that you have a uh, experience with the format. So uh, what I've actually got for you, actually, before we get into that, uh, would you like to just very quickly introduce yourself? To oh, the sure. Um, I write um, queer historical romance, usually set in the early 1800s. I'm, I, yeah, I live in the U.S. I have dogs and kids. That's me. <laughs> uh your your cat s writes on twitter yes yes that is the best way to find me is on twitter <laughs> that's how i found you and your books excellent um i i read i think it's your most recent book to come out um it takes two to tumble uh, yes i read that uh, on the, that's what i decided to do on valentine's day uh i read that oh excellent when i finished it uh, i read uh, the other two books of yours that i have so <laughs> super so as as you mentioned uh you're a romance author so what i've got for you uh, is a book called Ring of the Ruby Dragon, which is part oh, of God. which is part of the Heart Quest series. Oh wow! Okay, I don't know. <laughs> are you familiar with Heart Quest at all? No, no. Um, they they were published in uh, in 1983. Okay. Uh, um, by TSR, who were the publishers of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And oh wow! Okay. They, they had their own line of uh, choosable path books called Endless Quest. Uh, and I've I've got quite a few of those, but they also did this line called Heart Quest, which uh, is pick a path to romance and adventure. So they're basically the your Dungeons and Dragons choosable path books, but they're also romance books. <laughs> I love it, and I'm I'm so mad that I'm only hearing about this now. <laughs> they're quite obscure, I think. Okay. Um, okay. I I only found out about them because I I found like this like database of game books on the internet and i just did a complete deep dive and i just went through pretty much every single entry to see what it was and i found out it's like dungeons and dragons romance books the covers are kind of i think they're very deliberately it's it's sort of very deliberately designed to evoke like a kind of like 80s harlequin romance uh type, mm -hmm, type cover mm -hmm. uh annoyingly they they went with the um thing that you sometimes get in books where there isn't a cover illustration there's a cover illustration underneath the main cover and they've got a hole in the front cover of the book through which you see oh. a tiny little bit and then you open it and you see the actual proper cover but of course since the 80s many of these have, have come quite a fierce cropper and are like my my one my one is like is like missing the whole bottom corner the bottom right hand corner of the front cover <laughs> i've got a wonderful view of some unconscious dude in armor Right, so sold. Unconscious student armor. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I need to know. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, hopefully we'll find that path in the book, and you'll get to experience that. Um, Excellent. 
So, uh, the Ring of the Ruby Dragon, I'll read you the, the blurb on the back okay. so that you know what you're in for. You are Shandell, apprentice to your famed jeweler father, who has been kidnapped by creatures under the mystic spell of the evil red dragon. Somehow, you must try to rescue him. Perhaps the pouch of gems with unknown magic powers will help. Jeez, I do, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, turns out, no, they're no help at all. They're, <laughs> they're literally just for show. They just play Hall and Oates songs. That's all that they do. <laughs> He, he is Corrin, a, a beguiling young knight, hoping to prove himself on his first quest. And then there is Sir Torbeck, the older, more experienced fighter, with reasons of his own for joining you. So already, you've got a choice, I think. It's presenting you with a choice between the young and experienced knight or the slightly older, more experienced knight. And um, I'm an apprentice. I'm an apprentice to my father who's dead. What kind? What was he? Like, what am I? An, I what kind of apprentice? I never said he was dead. I said he was captured. Oh, I'm so, I'm so, jeez. Okay. You're assuming an I awful lot. I dispatched him pretty quickly. I'm focusing on the journeyman, the journeyman fighter. That's fine. Um, it says each one offers to help you, but each has his own way of reacting to your special magic. Oh. That could mean anything. Um, really good. Will your fantasy adventure lead you to your first romance? Or will the decisions you make carry you into realms for, from which there is no return? In a heart quest, TM, book, you, the reader, are challenged to pick a path to romance and adventure. Um, okay. From the sound of it, it's romance and or adventure, because you might not, because it says, what does it say? <laughs> I've already forgotten. Uh, will your fantasy adventure lead you to your first romance? Because So that's already set enough that maybe it doesn't. Maybe you just like have an adventure with some jewels and a magic dragon. Or is it like, you know, typical harlequin romance back cover copy it's like will they will they work out their differences and have a life together and you're and i mean they're going to (laughs) you know so maybe it's just evocative of of that that formula yeah so the only thing i can think of is like is is that um the old film a brief encounter about Mm. you know two people who you know two, two married people who are married to not each other and they meet at a like railway station and sort of have an affair, right. but not really. And then they don't get together at the end because the like film classification boards wouldn't have had it. But right, 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 right. as I've mentioned on uh, another podcast that I do, uh, the Wreckers with my friend Christy, uh, I read a lot of um, romance when I was a kid because uh, there were just like piles of romance books lying around in my grandmother's house, and I was sort of nine and reading everything that was just like you know if if I happened to find something lying around, I would start reading yes. it. Yes, so. I, yes. read, I read a lot of uh, Mills and Boone, which is the kind of UK equivalent. Excellent. Yes. Of, yes. Uh, of Harlequin. That, so. that was going to be my next question was like, what was your, what was your, or actually my, you're the one doing the questions, but I'm asking anyway. Um, that what was like, do you remember your first romance author? Like, do you, or was it, or were they mainly category romances? I, I, the I, I honestly don't. I, just, I remember like the cover was people in kind of like medieval dress. Yes. With yes. sort of, you know. 1940s hairstyles um of course <laughs> right but um i don't know i think i think i kind of read it and because I, I was like you know like knights and princesses my sort of only sort of exposure to that would would have been stuff like you know like king arthur and robin hood so right to just read right. so, so i don't know that i would have necessarily retained any of the information if there were no you know dragons or magic swords yes see like that's <laughs> I, I I started reading romance with like Daniel Steele when I was same thing it was my grandmother's house I was sent there for a summer, and 
I went through my library books in you know one hot minute, and then I started to read <laughs> all of the Danielle Steele that were all over the house, and nobody stopped me. And I must have been in second or third grade, and you know it's just like oh she's reading, you know that's good, reading is good. <laughs> You know, and it's like, not only is it, not only is, I mean, there's sex, but like, there's also, you know, Nazi heroes and like really <laughs> problematic content, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, guess. I, I think the Danielle Steele, I think the that sort of wink of romance publishing, I think that was a bit too racy for me, Nan. Um, I, I don't think, you know, she, <laughs> she, she, was a, she was a good Methodist woman, she wouldn't have uh, put up with any of that. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. No, my my family, a hundred percent of them, probably have had Danielle Steele. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> well, presumably in this book for children, well, we won't find anything quite so uh, evocative of Danielle Steele, or at least I hope not. Um... Okay, we'll use our imaginations. We'll make it through. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> it's it, it's 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 a criticism I I make of a lot of books that I read, but I don't imagine there's very many dragons. In Danielle Steele. No, no, this is it's a real problem that we face in literature, actually. <laughs> the total, total dearth of dragons and swords and armor, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've read your books and I really, I really love them. Zero and, dragons, though. Zero. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm prepared to be magnanimous and, and overlook that. <laughs> but, you know, there's a, you know, there's a few of your characters, like Lord Courtney. He's not a vampire. And it doesn't take. No, he's not a vampire. It doesn't. No. It doesn't take anything away from the book that he's not a vampire. But you know, you're really you're very forgiving. I mean, very generous. Maybe you know, just a consideration for the future. Maybe. <laughs> okay, I'm making, I'm making a note. Making a note. <laughs> consider, consider dragons and vampires. I don't often get to give sort of like one to one feedback to authors, so I'm taking my <laughs> I'm taking my opportunity now to say, you know, maybe don't make it about vampires, but just you know, have like the odd vampire just around. You know, just sa- just sauntering in, you know, just for, for the like, tea party for for decoration. Uh, right. So I think uh, now that I've um, told you your business uh, in sort of invited you onto my podcast under false pretenses and then proceeded to try and wheedle vampires into your books, uh, I think probably the best thing to do now is just for me to start reading you the book. Excellent. Go for it. Uh, you laugh with delight as the centaur nears your wagon. So you're already centaurs. It's, it's not messing wow. around. Like, wow, like there's no no world building. There's like no info dumping. Like we're just going to start with the centaurs. I like it. I think maybe it's just supposed to take place in just like the generic Dungeons and Dragons setting, maybe. But... I totally support this. Like this is a like this more books should do this. Like I people talk about the importance of world building, but like <laughs> screw it. Like I just like no, it's just 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 like it's it's basically in Dungeons and Dragons. All I need to know. That's great. Like <laughs> sentence one paragraph one centaurs <laughs> they're not messing around right exactly um, right so you laugh with delight as the centaur nears your wagon you don't often get to see centaurs because they rarely come near humans so you find the creature with a human head and torso on a sleek horse's body quite fascinating to see look father you exclaim it's coming to see us but your delight upon seeing the centaur turns to dismay as the centaur's human hands begin swinging a heavy oaken club at your horse Ooh. Is that typical centaur behavior? We don't know. We're probably going to find out. I'm I'm really surprised that like okay, I'm laughing with delight at the centaurs, right? <laughs> and so like presumably like, fictional, the audience ha- understands what a centaur is, but then we go on to have a description of what a centaur is. Like it was an interesting narrative choice that was made. 
that honestly hadn't occurred to me, but you're right, actually. Yeah, it's like, I just imagine a person who doesn't know what a centaur is picking up his book and reading the first line. It's like, <laughs> oh, God, what's that? I don't know. I have no frame of reference for this. Oh, wait, no. Human head and torso, sleep horse's body. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> so already already the, they've been gripped. Um, yes. <laughs> so the centaur has approached your wagon and is having a go at your horse with a club, apparently. Maybe maybe it's maybe it's never seen a horse before and it's panicking. <laughs> It's like, what's wrong with you? Where are your arms and legs? Oh God! <laughs> what horrible mutation is this? Kill you right away, put you out of your misery. Father, you exclaim. Centaurs aren't supposed to be vicious. Why is it coming after us? Hold on tightly, Chandel. Your father says. Let's get away from it. You clutch the side of the wagon as your father urges the horse, Dordle, to pick up the pace and outrun the malevolent centaur. A shadow falls across your face, and you look up to see two winged lions flying toward you. They look as if they're going to land on the centaur's back. Maybe they're going to help you. But again, something is wrong. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> the winged lions, known to be good and friendly creatures, are helping the centaur. Together they drag on the traces and try to force your horse to a halt. Standing, you brace yourself against the swaying and rushing of the wagon and prepare to leap to the back of the nearest winged lion, hoping to direct it away from your father and the wagon. See, already I have respect for your character because it's, you know, you've seen a... a a couple of winged lions and a centaur having a go at your wagon, and your immediate thought is, I'm going to rodeo that motherfucker. <laughs> I'm very brave. <laughs> wow. It's like, am I going to jump on the thing that has, you know, a horse's back that, nope. you know, humans, yeah. have, that humans have trained to, to, to ride upon for many hundreds and thousands of years? No, I'm going to jump on a flying lion, because how often flying do you get lion. that opportunity? <laughs> As you jump, the creature moves to the side abruptly, and you hit the ground. The breath explodes from your body as you land amid Dordle's flying hooves. One hoof strikes your head, and you are conscious of nothing else. When you open your eyes, you feel a pain shooting through your head, and remember the horse's hooves. You flinch as you expect another hoof to strike, but then you realise that you are alone. The centaur is gone. The lions have flown away. Your father is gone too. Father? You whisper, alarmed at the silence surrounding you. Then you rise and see your wagon nearby. Surprisingly, Dordle stands next to it, quietly munching the grass as though nothing unusual has happened. You hurry to the wagon, expecting to see your father lying in it hurt, but the wagon is empty. Moving out from the wagon in ever-widening circles, you look for signs at your father's fate. Sorry, I'll, I'll read that again. You look for signs of your father's fate, but find nothing. No blood, no weapons, no evidence of scuffling, nothing but animal tracks. He must have been carried away by the flying lions. Returning forlornly to the wagon, you sink down on the seat, absently brushing the leaves from your fur-trimmed cloak. What have they done with father, you think, your body trembling in fear? You feel more alone than you've ever thought possible. You've been working as your father's apprentice for five years, ever since your mother died when you were ten years old. Even though you travel all across the land to make jeweled and golden items for the lords and ladies, you've never felt in danger. But now... Father, you shout, overcome by an unaccustomed feeling of panic. You turn and shout in all directions, but the only sounds that meet your ears are the clink and squeak of the leather traces as Dordle stirs. Suddenly, you remember your father's collection of valuable gems. Did the beasts take them, you wonder? Yeah, because if I saw a couple of flying lions and a centaur, maybe, maybe the centaur, but I don't imagine seeing a couple of flying lions and thinking, you know, they're, they're after, like, human valuables as opposed to, like, steak. 
Um, I really, I'm wonder, I'm really wondering about the priorities of these animals, to be <laughs> honest. You know. Well, from the sound of it, something's frightfully amiss because uh, these aren't, you know, d- despite being like flying apex predators, these winged lions are apparently uh, an all right source, uh, and it's it's unusual right, for them to be like, attacking people. They're like friendly. I don't understand this. I. <laughs> But I'll, you know what? We're just gonna take it. We're just gonna take it as part of the magical world. <laughs> now I learned. Now I learned that griffins are friendly. I assume they're griffins and not the other thing. Um, it doesn't say they've got bird parts other than wings. Oh, maybe okay. they're just. They're probably just yeah, you know, just your regular flying lions. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, just I'm, normal. I'm like you know, like oh you, the regular ones. Oh, okay. Like like you might see roosting in any public park. Right, right. Silly me. <laughs> Quickly, you raise the wagon seat and explore the box beneath it. But even as you sort through the things inside, you know in your heart that the match set of emeralds, the set your father worked so hard to acquire for Lord Darkhell, is gone. Your heart sinks. Reluctant to give up hope, you move aside some clothing at the bottom of the box. A small leather pouch catches your eye. Maybe they didn't get everything. Lowering the wagon seat, you quickly sit and open the pouch in your lap. Out tumbles a set of strange stones. Certainly not the finely polished gems your jeweler father mounts for the aristocracy. These seemingly ordinary stones must have been overlooked by the plundering beasts. As you start to inspect them, they begin to move. One by one, the stones drift out of your hand and up into the air, but they form a ring around your head near the golden circlet that holds your long auburn hair in place. It's always auburn, isn't it? It is. I was just just was going to say, like this is there was a zero percent chance that I didn't have red hair. <laughs> And I have a golden circlet too, which seems I'm a little getting a little uppity, but okay. I mean, your dad's a jeweler. Okay, okay, fair enough. If your dad was a wheelwright, that'd probably be a bit odd, but <laughs> you know, he's he's probably got you know he probably had some like spare wire lying around, and he's like, there you go, stick it on your head. <laughs> uh, as you note the stones' vivid colours: pale blue, scarlet, banded pink and green, lavender, a beautiful dusty rose, and even a vibrant purple. A faint memory creeps into your mind, a memory of playing with these stones when you were a child. You had tossed them from hand to hand and laughed with delight when they formed the ring. But when your father came into the room, he hurriedly plucked the stones out of the air, scooped them into the bag, and shoved the bag into his pocket. They aren't toys, he had said. Then he sat next to you, placing an arm around your shoulder, and explained that they were Ioun stones. Wonderful stones of magical protection. That word is like, that's like 25% vowels. How, I was going to ask, how is it spelled? I o I O U N. Yep, I have nothing. I, I have no stone. idea. There's no way to say that. It's not pronounceable. It's like whale song. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, see, wonderful stones of magical protection. Each provided a different aid. More power to a strong arm, greater perception, greater dexterity, increased ability to survive without food or water. So they're basically stones of cheating at Dungeons and Dragons. It didn't. They are. It didn't mention like any like dice or anything. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm just gonna say they're adding. They're like adding points. That's what it is. It's I really, points. I really hope we don't get to like a point where it's like now roll a d twenty. It's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> it's like, wait, this is a book for nerds. <laughs> they, tr- they tricked us. They tricked us with talking about romance and presumably kissing. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, let's see. The lustrous pearl had the power to heal, and the lavender stones could remove magical spells surrounding a victim by absorbing them. Now you remember clearly. 
Your father had taken one of the stones from the bag, the deep purple one, and said in a voice hushed by awe, This stone was prepared by a great wizard for a special journey into strange and dangerous lands. It contains magical spells to protect him on the journey. Are the spells still in there? You had asked. Yes, the wizard never used the stone, he replied. But Papa, what's the stone do? You asked, astonished that such a small stone could hold so much power. He replied thoughtfully. I know some of the spells he put into the stone, my little one, but not all. Perhaps it's better not to ask. Now let's put the pretty stones away. And he gave you a hug. <laughs> like, yes, let us put away these objects of unfathomable power and never speak of them again. <laughs> and continue toiling <laughs> under feudalism. You know, like, I, I absolutely believe that the that the flying lions are friendly, but I do not believe that a child wouldn't find those stones, you know? <laughs> like, immediately. Like, immediately. <laughs> like, immediately. Like, the second the dad's back like, is out of the room. Like, and every time the dad leaves the room. Uh, remembering, you pick the stones out of the air and return them to their pouch, pondering what to do. Not long before the attack, your father had said that you would soon reach the next town on your journey to Lord Dark Elves to make the special emerald jewellery. I wonder if Lord Dark Hell is a good guy. I'm. I don't want to assume. Okay. I don't. Fair wa- I don't want to sort of make snap judgments about people, but if we I'll meet, try to be less judgmental. <laughs> if we meet him and he's all sort of wearing like black robes and has a, like a black pointy beard. Yeah. Yeah. Which is immediately, <laughs> which is immediately what I pictured. Totally. Like, for all I know, the guy looks like Santa Claus, but you you <laughs> you see the name Lord Dark Hell and you kind of picture like, you know, Skeletor with a face. Skeletor with the face, exactly, exactly. That's always bothering me. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know. <laughs> We're not saying that, you know, you know, most of my friends have faces. It's not something that <laughs> I'm prejudiced about. Why wasn't Skeletor called Skeletor? Because he wasn't a skeleton, he was like super buff. He just had a skull for a head. He really was, he really was buff. Like that was, like, as a child, I just let that, I let that go, you know. <laughs> I just assumed that I'm... everyone in that universe was super buff. But I'm graciously prepared to overlook this for now. <laughs> but yeah, that is odd. So we're, we'll presumably... F- I hope we do find out who Lord Dark Hell is, because like, it, it's going out of its way to sort of to mention him. So you'd yeah, think, you'd twice think, now. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Father, will I ever see you again? Tears well in your eyes and start to roll down your cheeks. Your horse stirs and you look up to see coming towards you through the woods a knight clad in chainmail armour and leather and mounted on a magnificent cinnamon coloured horse. I don't actually know what hmm. I don't actually know what colour cinnamon is. Is it like I think they it's a roan horse, probably. Oh, okay. Well say that then. I we, guess. We have a we have a perfectly straightforward class, classification system for the colours of horses. Right, right. Or bay or <laughs> I mean pick one, pick one. Uh, no, it's cinnamon it's cinnamon coloured apparently. Um I wonder if that comes as standard or you have to pay extra at the, at the horse dealership. <laughs> Uh, you quickly brush the tears from your face and try to straighten your clothing. As he rides towards your wagon, he notices you watching him and sits straight on his horse. Stopping in front of you, the knight smiles and bows from the waist. Good day, milady. You smile gratefully at the milady, more used to hearing young lass or even little girl. If you live nowadays, you might not be as fond of it. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Hello, you say in return, immediately captivated by the bright personality and dark features of this handsome young knight. So already, your dad's, you've forgotten. No, you know, he's okay, like, whatever, it doesn't matter. Like, handsome knight, cinnamon horse. Oh, hello, God. handsome. It's like, what's going on? I don't know, <laughs> my dad's gone missing, flying lines, I don't give a shit. <laughs> How do you do, he says, smiling. 
He then notices the tears you fail to wipe away and his brow furrows with concern. Are you a maiden in distress? He asks and quickly dismounts. Well, I guess I am, you say, reminded of your present plight. Yeah, remember, you dad and the lions and the centaur. <laughs> focus, focus, Shandell, focus. We've all, we've all been distracted by pretty boys. That's, that's a common experience for many people. She still has the tears on her face, too. Yeah, that's a bit of a weird flirting strategy, if I'm honest. Yeah. Not one yeah. that I would have, not one that I, you know, yeah. I wouldn't have had the confidence to go with that, but then, that, then I'm single, so. I mean, but you also, I mean, like, do you have, like, long red hair and a golden circlet? I don't you know see that. That's the problem. Like, yeah. They don't, Fly, flying rocks. Yeah. <laughs> they don't tell you these things. <laughs> no, they really don't. If you tell you in school, it's like, you know, you plan on dating, maybe get a golden circlet and, a, and an auburn wig. <laughs> so, you've remembered your present plight. What happened? I was travelling with my father when a centaur and two winged lions charged our wagon, trying to gain control of our horse, you say, pointing to Dordle. I really hope that this, like, it turns out it's not like a fantasy world and he just thinks you're crazy. It's like, <laughs> he just thinks you're on drugs. It's like, oh yeah, flying lions, really? Yeah, okay. Whatever you say, love. Uh, when I tried to stop them, I fell from the wagon and was knocked out for a while. Are you alright? He asks quickly. Oh yes, you assure him. But when I woke up, father was gone and so were all the jewels. Jewels. My father makes fine jewellery. Lord Darkel, there's him again, has entrusted us with obtaining and mounting two rare and exceptionally beautiful emeralds. I serve as my father's assistant, you say proudly. Oh, what shall I do, you, you cry, thinking of your losses. I suppose I must continue toward town and try to find help. I, I'm, I'm a knight, says the young man in, in armour, stating the obvious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> imagine he's like, I'm kind of, you, you know, the armour? Um, anyway, um, I would be honoured to come to your aid, fair... Uh, what is your name? Chandel, you offer, smiling at his uncertainty. Chandel, he repeats slowly, as if savouring the sound. How beautiful. <laughs> That's wonderful commentary. That's exactly what I was hoping for. <laughs> uh, thank you, you say, pleased with his compliments. And who are you? I am Corrin. Sir Corrin. He blushes and then lifts his chin proudly. I've just finished my training and been knighted. Bilkin here, he pats the horse, trained with me. Congratulations, you exclaim, your image of this knight altering slightly. How exciting for you. Are you on a quest? I will be, when I can find one. But in the meantime, I'd be very happy to help you. Your heart leaps at the thought of travelling with an attractive young man, but you hesitate. Would a novice knight be a help or a hindrance in my search for father, you ask yourself? Well, you know, he's he's like he's 100% more knight than you are. So <laughs> let's not be too quick. Let's Maybe let's not be too hasty. Uh, yeah <laughs> and she's unarmed he's at least he at least has some kind of weaponry i mean she's got some magic anti-gravity pebbles but she's gonna hold out for better <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't know i don't know chandel <laughs> you look at him carefully and notice that the sword at his side shines brightly has he has it ever been used you wonder and then afraid that the answer is no you say Thank you for offering your aid, Sir Corrin, but I don't even know for sure where we are. I think I'd better go into town and find someone who knows this area. Corrin's smile disappears, disappointment evident on his now slumping shoulders. Well, I just thought, maybe. His voice trails off, and then you see a new alertness in his body. Look, he exclaims, kneeling down. These are the tracks of the centaur. We can follow them right to your father. It will be raining soon, though, and the tracks will disappear. We must leave now. Then he adds, his shyness forgotten in the excitement, I'm very good at following tracks. I learned it at night school. 
It doesn't say that in the book. I just... I'm sorry. You feel his enthusiasm begin to remove your uncertainty. Maybe he can help, you think. Maybe he knows more than he appears to know. And maybe it would be fun to spend time with him. You brush at your red gown and cloak, wishing they hadn't gotten so wrinkled. Stop it, Shandell, you tell yourself sternly. Be realistic. I can't go off with this man just because he's attractive. I need someone with experience. You're about to make up your mind when you think. But I should go hunting for my... For my but, Let's try that again. You're about to make up your mind when you think, but I should go hunting for my father while the tracks are still fresh. They might be washed away by the time I return from town with help. You must decide. Here it is. This is your decision. This is your part of the thing now. This is the bit that you do. Okay. Okay, I'm all ready. Do you okay. want to trust Corin and follow the fresh tracks on the ground, or do you want to go into town and find more experienced help? I'm going to go into town. But that is mainly because you read me the back cover copy. <laughs> You know that the, you know there's, there's another dude. Mm-hmm. You know, I hopes for the other dude. We're, we're just exploring our options. Nothing wrong with that. That's right. That's right. I mean, Chandel is clearly exploring her options. She's <laughs> all about the options. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're going to going into town. Experience is probably more useful than enthusiasm in a fight. You think to yourself. Turning to Corin, you say, "We better go into town and see what we can learn about the creatures around here. Maybe there's some explanation for why they're attacking people." Well, if you say so, says Corin. A look of disappointment flashes across his face. But I'm sure I could handle anything we might run into. I'm sure you could, Corin, you say, not wanting to hurt his feelings. But I can't take a chance on two of us not being able to rescue my father. Then I'll be on my way, Shandell, says the knight. I'm sure you'll find help in town. Probably more experienced help. You won't need me. You try to persuade him to stay with you, but he's firm about leaving. However, he offers, I'll see you safely to the edge of the town. Unharnessing Dawdle from the wagon shafts, you mount her bareback and head toward town. At the edge of the forest, you say goodbye to Corin and ride on, wondering a bit sadly what you might have missed by parting from him now. In town, you quickly find that the people are reluctant to talk to a stranger. I can't talk now, says one fearful woman, clutching her shawl about her head and walking quickly away. We just don't take notice of anything, says a man repairing a fence. It's safer that way. Finally, one small boy looks carefully around and exclaims in a whisper, oh, I'm not afraid of any dragon. And then a look of fear at his own daring crosses his face and he turns and dashes down the road. Dragon. Standing there in the road, stunned, you wonder what you have led yourself into. And you wish that Sir Corrin were here with you. You look for an inn. No, and... don't look back, Shandell. Don't do it. <laughs> Only go forward. Be like a shark. You look for an inn and find one. The wooden whistle near the edge of town. There's little sign of activity. And even when you enter the dimly lit, low-ceilinged public room, you find yourself almost alone. A lone man seated at a table by the window looks up as you enter. You feel his gaze linger on you before it returns to his glass of ale. A small figure sits at a little table in the shadows at the back. The innkeeper rushes towards you, wiping his hands on his leather apron. Bowing slightly, he says, How may I be of service, milady? I want to hire someone, a fighter, to help me find my father. Your father, milady? Yes, we were set upon not far from here by a centaur and some winged lions. They, they kidnapped him! Your composure suddenly breaks. The innkeeper tactfully ignores the tears that spring to your eyes and murmurs as if to himself, She's done some strange things before, but kidnapping a stranger? She? Oh, I was speaking of Radel, the red dragon. He looks quickly around, leans towards you and speaks in a whisper. Somehow the dragon has enchanted normally friendly creatures, such as those winged lions, and makes them do evil things. People hereabouts are frightened even to speak of her. Well, this Radel has now taken my father, as well as the precious jewels he had with him. Ah, jewels, milady, says the innkeeper. Now I understand. Radel is very fond of jewels, although I am surprised that the creatures took your father too. 
Usually they just break in and steal what gems and gold they find to take to her lair. My father is a jeweller, you say thoughtfully. Well, that sheds a different light on it, he says, holding out his hands, as if everything were now made clear. She probably wants to have her favourite gems remounted. Now that I think of it, I've heard of at least two local goldsmiths who have disappeared, he adds. You can't just, you know, you, you can't just hire these people. You have to kidnap them. That's a bit extreme. And you're not going to take the apprentice, too? I mean, like, take all the people, you know? If you're going to go, like, if you're going to start kidnapping metalsmiths, you may as well just take all of them. Take the apprentice. She's got a golden circlet. The dragon doesn't want that? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the dragon's going to be fearfully put out if she finds out that she could have had a golden circlet and didn't get one. I mean... I have a feeling we're never going to find out what happens <laughs> to the winged lions who didn't deliver the circlet. I wouldn't want to be them. Oh, well. I wouldn't want to nope. be them, mostly because I'd be like a sort of an abomination against nature. And I don't imagine that would be very, <laughs> that, I don't imagine that would be conducive to, you know, a very relaxing life. Um, I don't think they have good working conditions, probably. <laughs> probably don't even have a union. No, no, no benefits. And what happened to them? You ask the innkeeper, fear leaping in your heart. Oh, they were never heard of again. He stops abruptly as a large figure looms up in front of him. You were going to say something that wouldn't alarm the lady, the newcomer demands sharply. Oh, yes, of course, sir, the innkeeper jabbers. He then turns to you and says, Oh, lady, I certainly had no intention of adding to your fears. No, that's all right, you say, trying to suppress the additional alarm you feel. Realising that the newcomer who halted the innkeeper's thoughtless chatter is the man who was seated at the window, you say to him, Sir, I think you heard about my plight. Perhaps you can suggest where I might find help. The man looks you squarely in the face and smiles. Until that moment, you'd had no real impression of him except as a large, dark man, probably a fighter, about 25 years old. But his smile transforms him. You see that he is handsome in a rugged, slightly careworn way. You know that his dark eyes are fully taking you in and liking what they see. But you guess, too, that only on rare occasions have they not liked what they've seen in a woman. <laughs> and now we know. And now we know who we're dealing with. Uh, you straighten your cloak and your hand involuntarily creeps to your hair to straighten it under the golden circlet. Allow me to introduce myself, my lady. Sir Torbeck at your service. He bows stiffly, but his eyes fix yours intently, commanding you to heed him. Among my other accomplishments, I battled the evil Gorgimera of the Thordal Forest, guided the first successful expedition through the great shimmering mountains, and returned the fabled cloak of Clowering to its owner. He was very appreciative. I take that to mean that they kissed. Yeah, totally. I'm thinking to myself, first of all, he's just delivered his whole CV, right? Yeah. Okay. And he's basically saying that people are appreciative when I do things for them. And you know what that means. So, Wink. if I can help you, I, I can help you. You stand mesmerized by the look in his eyes and the speech he just made, although understanding neither of them. <laughs> so this guy's just listed all of his, all his accomplishments and you're like, what? What was any of that that you just said? Oh, Chandel. <laughs> Shaking your head to clear it, you reply, And I am Chandel, daughter of Maris, the jeweller. My father has been kidnapped by some creatures, possibly under the control of a red dragon. Sir, I need to hire someone to help me find and rescue him. On that last word, you realise once again the horror of the situation. Your voice breaks and tears rush to your eyes. Sir Torbeck quick steps quickly to your side and puts a strong arm protectively around your shoulder. That's a bit familiar. <laughs> I don't know that we're That's... quite in arm around the shoulder territory quite yet. I think Torbeck is always in arm-around-the-shoulder territory. <laughs> you feel an urge to relax against it. Now, now, my lady, don't fret, he says, smiling down at you. I'll take care of everything. I'll get your father back. Your tears dry quickly as you realise that you're more aware of his arm than his words. Will you, will you please focus? 
Trembling slightly, you bend over to brush something from the hem of your cloak. When you straighten up, you hope it seems by chance that you are no longer under his arm. You smile at him and say, I will be grateful to have your help, Sir Torbeck. Then you remember that he is a fighter, a man who helps people for a living. That's what that word means. <laughs> you hesitate, not knowing how to ask. Um, how... how much... Sir Torbeck, seeing your confusion and reluctance to bring up the subject of payment, quickly interrupts. It would be my privilege to aid such a charming young lady as yourself. Let us just say that we will share equally any of the dragon's hordes we come across. Relieved at the problem being so easily solved, you quickly agree. Then, looking around for the innkeeper, you realise that the room has become quite dark. Oh, it's raining. The trail will be washed away. How are we going to find Radel's lair? Turning to Sir Torbeck, you ask, Do you know the way? No, I don't. But I know who can help, perhaps, my lady, interrupts the innkeeper. There is a sage here in town who is very wise. I know he has made a great study of the red dragon. Maybe he has discovered where her lair is. Oh, he just keeps records and looks in books, a scornful voice says from the other side of the room. Turning, you see the small figure which was seated at the back of the inn when you entered. As the figure nears you in the dim light, you see a female halfling dressed in orange and brown who adds, I know someone who would be much more useful. Oh, you say curiously, charmed by the diminutive person about half your size, who seems to dance towards you on her feet as she crosses the room. Yes, she says in a small sparkling voice. There's a witch, a lawful good witch, named Grantia, who lives in the woods on the edge of town. A crystal ball will tell you what you want to know. And I'll be happy to take you there, the halfling adds enthusiastically. But, she hesitates, there is just one thing. What's that? says Torbeck. The halfling glances at him and then seems caught by his gaze the way you were. A gentle transforming smile flickers across the fighter's face, and the halfling unconsciously sighs in reaction. I'm starting to get I'm starting to get a bad vibe off this guy. Yeah, yeah. I think... I'm I'm really I really regret having come into the town. <laughs> I'm starting to think the this... wrong choice. I'm starting to think this guy's like the D and D equivalent of one of those like scumbag pickup artists. You clear your throat and the halfling reluctantly turns back to you. I'll have to go with you. Grantia doesn't trust strangers. I can be lots of help and she looks the fighter over with a roguish smile. The company should be interesting. How could you help, you ask? You're so small. The little figure completes the sentence. God damn it, Shandell, you can't just say people are small. <laughs> I know, but I'm a trained thief and I can do lots of things neither of you can do. I can see in the dark, I can sneak through places very quietly, and I can talk to some of the creatures we meet. I bet you can't speak orcish, she says proudly. No, hmm. you admit. And the halfling adds, so you'd be glad to have my help, wouldn't you? Torbeck smiles down at her. Enchanted little lady, I can't think of a thing I need more, but tell me why you're so eager to go with us. For a moment, the halfling's jovial face loses its animation. Slowly, she says, the dragon's hordes rampaged through my village some time back and destroyed everything. Her voice drops to a fierce whisper. I said I'd get her, and I will. Even she seems shocked by the intensity in her voice, and consciously changes the expression on her face to one of pixie-ish humour. Then she curtsies in exaggerated fashion to each of you and says, Jancy the small but enthusiastic thief, at your service. All right, Jancy, you say, charmed by the girl. I'm pretty sure Jancy's going to stab you in your sleep and nick your golden circlet. <laughs> I'm rooting I'm rooting for Jancy That's what I'd do if I was her, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very relatable. <laughs> I'll be glad of your company, and you can share in whatever wealth we find after we find my father. Good. Are you going to consult the witch? Torbeck moves closer to you and whispers, It might be a trick, Chandel. Centaurs and winged lions may not be the only creatures that dragon can control with her powers. Perhaps we should go to the sage. So it's choice time again. Do you want to visit the okay. witch and see if her crystal ball can locate your father? Or do you think it's safer to go to the sage? Mm, I want to... Mm, 
Now, which is the one that the halfling is suggesting? Uh, Jancy's suggesting we go and see the witch. I'm going to the witch. I'm okay. going to do whatever she tells me to. <laughs> Looking intently at Jancy's lively open face, you find it impossible to believe that she might be involved in some sort of evil trap. I'm sure the witch will be able to help us, you say. We'll go and see her in the morning. That night, you share a room with Jancy. You stay awake for a while, chatting worriedly about your father, but soon you realise that not much worries the halfling. You stop talking and drift off into restless slumber, in which a red-coloured dragon looms large in your dreams. At dawn the next morning, Torbeck rides next to you as you follow Jancy's sleek pony, Gooseberry, into the woods. You're just beginning to hope she isn't leading you into a trap when you reach a house set into the side of a hill. Only its door and front window are visible. At the sound of your horses, a woman comes to the door. Her gentle face is surrounded by a white wimple that soars up from her shoulders of her grey gown to cover her hair. Not what I thought a witch would look like, you think. She greets Jancy, who introduces you and Sir Torbeck as her friends. You bring Dawdle to a halt and say, Good morrow, ma'am. We've come to find your father, of course. The witch completes the sentence with certainty, as if there could be no question about why you have come. Enter the house of Grantium. We will ask the spirit of the crystal ball to help you. You jump off Dawdle, but before the others can dismount, the witch says, You must come alone, daughter. The ball will speak only to you and me. No, Shandell, exclaims Sir Torbeck, deep concern written on his face. You mustn't go in there alone. Why not? You ask. Well, we don't know Jancy or this woman. Do, do we know you, Torbeck? We've known you about as long as we've known the others. What if this is a plot? Anything might happen. And his voice drops to a low whisper that only you can hear. I certainly wouldn't want anything to happen to you. Smiling with pleasure at his words, you turn to the witch, but she anticipates you. This is a house for women alone, she says firmly. How did she know you'd be coming, Torbeck whispers. I don't trust her. I can handle that dragon without her help. She's a she's a witch, though. <laughs> She's got a crystal ball! Come on now, Torbeck. This is basic. Thank you for being so concerned, Torbeck, but I have to find out what she knows. Impulsively, you reach up and squeeze his hand briefly. I'll be alright. Turning swiftly, you walk into the small, modest yet mysterious house. The witch enters behind you, closes the door, and moves smoothly past you. As your eyes adjust to the dimness of the small room, you see that the witch has already seated herself at a table and is staring into a large crystal ball. You realise that it is beginning to glow slightly. Sit, Chandel, commands Grantia. Your sight will be needed too, if we intend to persuade the spirit of the ball to show you all it knows. You sit down opposite the witch and peer intently into the sphere. All you see is a swirling mist within. Then you hear Grantia say, Ah, with a sigh of satisfaction. I see nothing, you say, as the mists refuse to part. Hush, child, it will become clear. She pauses and then adds, Yes, as I thought, the red dragon. What do you see, you ask urgently. I see only what the ball will show me, Grantia replies cryptically. Yeah, I, th I think we'd figured out that's how it works. <laughs> Nobody in this story really understands. <laughs> Everybody's just winging it. <laughs> you start to retort, that's no help, when the swirls in the ball part, revealing a large chamber in a cavern in which you see a figure working at a bench, pounding something with a small hammer. Father, you exclaim excitedly. Unblinking, you stare at the tiny scene, relieved to see your father alive. You're watching him so intently that you almost miss the movement at the back of the chamber showing the crystal ball. We must stop, said Grantia quickly, and she starts to pull a black cloth over the ball. No, wait, you demand, and reach out and grab the witch's hand, preventing her from covering the ball. I must see whether he's in chains. Oh, moans Grantia, too late. You look into the ball and your eyes widen at the sight of a huge dragon behind your father. The dragon's deep ruby colour seems to glow with a light of its own. 
but even more brilliant is the gold brilliance of her eyes as they stare straight at you. It's as though she sees me, you gasp. Radel has powers beyond imagining, the witch says sadly, pulling the black cloth over the ball. This time, you do nothing to stop her. Now Radel has seen you. She knows you are looking for your father, and you will not be able to move in secrecy. It will be very difficult for you to reach him and get safely away. Then she adds, as if to herself, and now she knows I've been watching her. For a moment, your own fear is overcome by your concern for the witch. Will the dragon harm you? Well, no, I will be gone from here very quickly. And you must too. Take your friends and go at once. Take the path into the woods. Now go. As you heed her urging, you thrust a silver coin in her hand, turn and run through the doorway. Something went wrong, you exclaim to Torbeck and Jancy as you mount Dordal. She says the dragon knows I saw her in the crystal ball. Torbeck's smile of welcome at seeing you safe changes rapidly into a frown of concern. Thank you, Grantia, you call to the witch who stands in the doorway. I'm sorry if I endangered you, and you wave your goodbye. Like, sorry about the dragon coming to burst you alive. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> sorry, I gotta go. <laughs> Flip your hair. <laughs> like, I'm sure you can deal with that. What did she say? asks Torbeck. Once the dragon saw her, she didn't have time to say much, but she did say to take the path into the woods. That's not much help, he exclaims. If Grantia bothered to say it at all, it, she meant it to be helpful, says Jancy. I think we should go back to the inn and learn the way to the sage's house, says Torbeck. Let's take the path into the woods, says Jancy. I'm sure Grantia said it for a reason. So, do you want to go back into the town and go to the sage's house, or do you want to go to the, into the path in the woods, like the witch said? I want to go into the path in the woods. Into the woods to grandmother's house. Into the woods. Mm -hmm. I agree, Jancy, you say, after thinking a moment. She must know that the path will lead to something helpful. And besides, you add, smiling at the halfling, I think I trust Jancy's judgment of people. However, you add, I better be prepared for anything. And you pull the small leather pouch from your pocket. Jewels, Torbeck exclaims as you pour the stones into your hand, and then he gasps as the stones start to drift upwards and form a ring around your head. No, they're iron stones, Jancy says excitedly. My grandmother had some. You tell the fighter and the halfling what you remember your father saying about the stones and the wizard who packed the spellstone. It's very powerful, you finish. You don't need me, then, says Sir Torbeck. Are you seriously feeling threatened by a pebble? <laughs> He's very fragile. <laughs> He's like, oh, it's fine. You got a magic rock, then. I guess you don't need me. <laughs> I'm just a bloke with a sword. I'm not a flying rock. <laughs> yes, I do, you say swiftly, suddenly afraid that he might pursue that thought. I don't know what spells are stored in the stones, so I can't depend on them. Well, it's been my experience. Jancy lowers her voice and pulls an imaginary long grey beard. But it never hurts to have a little bit of magic handy. Torbeck looks taken aback and then explodes with laughter at the halfling. Well, we certainly ought to accept the benefit of your vast experience, madam. Laughing, the three of you ride on into the woods. As you ride, you talk easily together and soon Torbeck is telling tales of his exploits as a fighter. You are indeed a mighty warrior, you say smiling when he finished the tale of the shimmering mountains. I try to live by my oath as a knight, he says. You know that he's trying to sound modest, but that he is proud of himself. But that's all right, he's you think. Not, he's not trying to sound modest. <laughs> not even a little bit. Not even no. slightly. No. But that's all right, you think. He's done some very brave things. Just then, Dordle stumbles slightly, makes a small leap, and stops. Quieting her, you look down and see that she has just avoided falling into a deep, smooth hole in the ground. A small mouse is running around and round inside the hole, trying to get out. Its tiny claws are unable to get a grip on the smooth sides. You hear it chitter in fear. Hold on, mouse, says Torbeck, dismounting quickly. The fighter bends down, scoops the tiny mouse up in his hands, and releases it onto the grass. As it runs away free, you hear the fighter say gently, Go on home, little mouse. Alright, so, yeah. I'll, I'll give okay. you that. I'll give you that, Torbeck. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that, but okay. 
Okay. Who's <laughs> gonna like Tomek takes out the hole and it puts it in his mouth. <laughs> then then he looks up and sees you and Jancy watching him. The soft look on his face changes to one of confusion and he hurriedly remounts his horse. And he has a gentle side too, you think, adding to the mental image you're forming of this night. Suddenly you hear a familiar flapping sound above you. The shadow of four winged lions passes over you as the sound is joined by that of rushing hooves nearby. Moving off the trail just in time, you stand by the side unnoticed as a troop of centaurs and satyrs charging past you, heading, clearly heading back the way you came. They're heading towards Grantia's house, you say. The dragon must have sent them and just as she sent them to kidnap my father. We've got to help her, you shout to the others. Torbeck turns to you and says, don't be silly. There are far too many creatures for us to fight. But we've got to try, you exclaim. There's no virtue in jumping into a fight without considering the odds for success, Shandell, the knight says. Oh, you're just making an intellectual exercise of it, you say angrily. I'm not, he replies. I'm trying to survive so we can rescue your father. Oh, your anger is replaced by shame. But what about Grantia, Shandell? She's in trouble because she helped you, Jancy reminds you. You hang your head, confusion almost overwhelming you. Oh, what should I do, you ask yourself as you look from Jancy to Torbeck. Both of them watch you expectantly. So do you want to go back and help the witch, or do you want to press on for the dragon's lair? Hmm. The book seems to be trying to nudge you in a particular direction. But that could yeah. be that could be like that could be like a faint. I have to say I'm gonna leave the witch <laughs> and I'm gonna go to the dragon's lair. She's she's a witch, she'll be fine, probably. Yeah. I figure that if she hasn't been able to handle herself so far, it's not my problem. <laughs> it turns out she's got a gun. <laughs> Okay, good. I like that. I like that version of the story. The howls and roars of the creatures as they run through the woods seem to echo in your head and turn your thoughts into a jumble. She was helping me. I ought to help her. But my father needs help too. The dragon may be hurting him. She's a magic user. She can protect herself. Torbeck says there are too many monsters. And finally your mind settles on one thought. Torbeck says, don't go back. Let's not go back, you say quietly and sadly. Wise girl. Torbeck smiles his approval and urges his charger on down the path. If it was wisdom, why don't I feel wise, you wonder to yourself as you realise that you no longer hear the howling of the determined creatures. You ride on towards the rising sun until you reach a branch in the path. Which way shall we go? asks Torbeck. Whatever you think, you reply, your thoughts elsewhere. You turn north, following Torbeck's lead. By the time Torbeck admits that he chose the wrong trail, you are truly lost in the vast forest. You find no sign of a dragon, or of anyone else. Several days later, you finally return to the small town where you started your quest. When you ask the innkeeper to tell you how to reach the sage he had told you about, he looks fearfully over his shoulder at an evil-looking centaur who is watching him closely and says, Things have changed around here now. I can't tell you anything. Sadly, you realise you have reached the end. Oh, God. Yeah, that was abrupt. I chose, I chose poorly. <laughs> oh, uh, well. Well, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I foresaw this. <laughs> but I did keep my finger in the in the original page, so if you want, you can rewind time. It's it's cheating slightly, but I I don't how... think I've ever actually done one of these books properly. Like, you know, <laughs> where like you know, like I it's maybe there are some honest souls out there who only do who who don't go back. Yeah, I but... mean these these books yeah. do operate on the honor system. Right. And like, okay, so it seems to me like Torbeck is not a good actor. You know, like he's, he's, he's up to no good. And the best possible outcome that you can achieve is by never listening to Torbeck. Probably. Right? Like that seems to be the case. So what would happen if we went back and helped the witch? Well, we can find out. Because... Notice how I roped you into this, so it's not only me now. It's like we. <laughs> oh, no. We're I mean... sharing the blame. 
But these books are always like, uh, if you get to the end, you have to go back to the start and try again. It's like, yeah, sure. I'm absolutely going to do that, you papery chump. <laughs> we'll go and help the witch instead. Uh, we'll just treat it as a save point, like in a video game. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I don't have to put another quarter in the book. No. As you try to decide, your mind in turmoil, you hear the sound of a bird shrieking as it passes overhead. It sounded like a woman's cry. I've got to go back and help Grantia, you exclaim in anguish. It's my fault the dragon is after her. She's a witch, Shandell, says Torbeck impatiently. She can take care of herself with magic. Now we know that you're full of shit, Torbeck. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but maybe not. I've got to find out. You kick your heels into Dordal's side and gallop quickly through the forest. The others follow. You halt abruptly behind the tree, screening the witch's small house and dismount. The sounds coming from the house are horrible, and you're suddenly reluctant to find out what is making them. You watch Torbeck draw his sword. Even Janzi has a little jeweled dagger that she draws out of her boot. Suddenly you feel powerless and wonder why, why you forced the others to come here. Seeing you hesitate, Torbeck leans down and asks, What's wrong, Shandell? I, I've never used magic before except to protect me, and I don't even know what the spellstone will do. What if it does something awful? What if it doesn't work? But what if it does work? He says gently. Then you will have helped the witch that you came here to save. Besides, the wizard who packed the spellstone wouldn't have put spells in that might hurt him. You're right, you agree, and you all step into the clearing around Grantia's house. Centaurs, satyrs, a couple of winged lions, even a werebear. I remember those. Wow. I remember them. You can get wow. They're, they're like teddy bears, and you can turn their heads inside out, and they'd have little teeth in that. <laughs> I mean, it's probably some kind of like D and D monster manual thing, but I'm choosing to picture the uh, the eighties toy line. Yes. Yes. So uh, a big gaggle of monsters uh, storm the house, screaming and snarling in fury. Grantia stands visible through the open door, but none of the creatures get near her. When one centaur dashes forward, it seems to hit an invisible barrier. Sparks fly, and it retreats, howling. Now you realise that the horrible noise the creatures are making contains as many howls of pain as screams of rage. But the monsters surround the witch, and she is trapped within her own invisible cage. I'll get them away from her, says Torbeck, dashing forward with his sword ready. He heads toward the nearest centaur, which turns at the sound and attacks the fighter with a heavy open club. Torbeck, you shout. But then, knowing you can't really do anything to help him unless it's with magic, you stand still and concentrate your thoughts on the purple stone in the ring of stones circling your head. Your mind closes out the sounds of the creatures as you start to concentrate on the world of power within you. The purple stone starts to vibrate and glow. From somewhere, the word hold enters your mind, and you feel feel yourself repeating the words, Stone of fire, stone of light, hold the creatures, end this fight! You continue to concentrate until you realise that the sounds around you have lessened. When you open your eyes, you see that all the centaurs and satyrs, the part human creatures, are standing absolutely still as if frozen in place. The other creatures continue to leap and scream, but without direction from their leaders, they move around aimlessly. Soon they turn and run away. You hurry to Grantia's side and bump painfully off her invisible shield. Yeah, do you remember that? (laughs) I just imagine, like, you know, like, you must have seen, like, a dog not know that a plate glass door was there. Yes. One of my dogs didn't understand doors for a while because <laughs> he's not a thinker, and so neither is Chandel just... from the sound of it because no, she's just no. she's just done exactly the same thing and also has about the same powers of memory <laughs> as my less bright dog. Oh dear, I'm sorry, my dear," says the witch. She makes a slight gesture and reaches her hand out to you. Her actions no longer hindered by the unseen barrier. That was my glyph of warding. I was just packing to go when I heard Radel's horde coming. I constructed the invisible shield so that I could continue packing while it held them back, but then one of the centaurs was clever enough to try to get around behind it, and I had to construct it all around me. 
There I stood in the cage of my own making until you came along and stopped those nasty creatures from attacking me. Oh, excuse me a moment. I'll just dispose of the centaurs and satyrs you so kindly put out of action for me. She goes to the door, mumbles a few words, and then holds her hands flat with her thumbs touching. Sheets of flame spurt from her fingertips, striking the creatures. They stir, turn, and go howling into the woods. That almost turned very grim. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's all these these presumably mind-controlled centaurs and satyrs that Shandell's knocked out. And Grandi's just like, yeah, one moment. Roast them. Just apocalypse now, just... Yep. (laughs) There, Grandia says with satisfaction. What can I do to thank you for coming back to help me? No thanks are necessary, you say. But is there any way you can help me rescue my father? Well, the witch thinks a moment. I could put your horse under a spell, one that would let me put into her mind a picture of the way to the dragon's lair. The route is much too complicated to try to describe it to you. The only drawback to the spell is that she won't go anywhere but along the route I gave her, so you'll just have to go along no matter what else happens. Torbeck and Jancy wait for your decision. You find yourself a little reluctant to leave your destination to a spellbound horse. What? It's just like D&D GPS. This is the, it's also the least... This is the least um, upsetting decision that she's had to make, really. <laughs> you know? Like, there's someone who actually knows what's going on. So Even if it's, like, just the horse. Even if it's the horse, that's fine. Yep, I trust um, the horse more than any more than any other character in the story. <laughs> you find yourself a little reluctant to leave your destination to a spellbound horse, but you realize you really don't have much choice. All right, please put Dordle under a spell. Fine, but you'll have to remove the lavender-colored stones from your ring of stones. Why? Because those are stones that absorb spells. They could remove the spell I put on Dordle, and then you might be lost in the woods. You reach up and remove the two lavender stones from the ring around your head. So, I've just realised all this time you've just had these, like, rocks just, like, orbit in your head. That's probably been pretty distracting for anyone who's talking to you. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. On the other hand, though, that is a, that is a hell of a look. It I... really is. <laughs> you know, it's bold. It's really a decision was made. I like it. Why can't we get that technology instead of sending cars into space for no reason? Yeah, I would, I would, I would like the protection spell in particular. <laughs> like, that would be... That or would even, be good. Or even if you, if you could just make like small objects like circle your head. Imagine if you were uh, like a you know a buffet and you just had like canapes just go like around croissants. Your head. Yeah, Croissant, and, you and know. You yeah, could just, and I like you could it. just like reach up and grab one as it was passing, like like sushi restaurants with the conveyor belt. <laughs> we don't have those in the U.S. with the the conveyor belt with uh, in the sushi restaurant. Or if we do, I haven't seen one. Like I feel really sad right now. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I know people who've been to. I haven't been to one. Uh, but I'm pretty sure I know people who have. I mean, they... like that said, I live in like I live in like a swamp. You know, I live in like the <laughs> middle of absolutely nowhere. So like, I don't even know what I'm. And it's been like a decade since I've been to a real city. So I should just stop. Like maybe, maybe like right now in New York, it's nothing but sushi on your balls. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like they have the stone, the floating stone technology too. I have no idea. It's just everywhere, like Starbucks. You can't turn around. There's another conveyor belt sushi place. Exactly. It's like Fifth Element, but with like. <laughs> But with, like, conveyor belt sushi. That's what New York is, as far as I know. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's I'm from New York, but I haven't been back since 2004, because I'm bad at travel and other parts of life, you know? So, I basically stay at my swamp house, where we don't have, where we don't have sushi conveyor belts. Living that Shrek life. Yeah, it's, it's really, it is, it's exactly like Shrek. That's it. That's, that's it. You've, you've reached up and removed the two lavender stones from the ring around your head. The other stones move around until they are evenly spaced again. You put the two you've removed back into the leather pouch. Grantia places her hand gently on Dordle's nose, makes a few gestures and murmurs some words to which Dordle seems to listen intently. 
Then the horse nods and the witch pats her nose again. Just follow Dordle's lead, my dears. She's a fine horse and she'll get you there safely. Remounting, you wave to the witch and give your horse her lead. Torbeck on his charger and Jancy on Gooseberry ride side by side behind you. I do love the fact that I don't know if I don't know if, if if it's a term that you have in the US, but you know, like if if like two people are on a date and there's like yes, another person yes, a there. gooseberry, yeah. yeah, it's not a US term, but it is a romance novel term. <laughs> yeah, so. that's right. I figured you, I figured you'd probably be familiar with it, but I, yeah. I wonder how intentional how intentional is it that Jancy's horse is called gooseberry? I don't know, and also it's um <laughs> considering that like, seems to be her role in the book. I really appreciate that all of the horses have names. Like that's a that's like not something i would have expected for every single character's horse to have a name but i like it yeah you know one of my favorite authors is diana Wynne jones and uh mm-hmm. yes yes she wrote uh, a wonderful book called the tough guide to Fantasyland, which is just like a list of um fantasy tropes in the form of a travel guide book i think i might have brought this up uh, last episode actually um i might maybe it's one of going to be one of those things where I, I talk about this book once an episode until everyone buys it um <laughs> But she she does mention that horses are horses are um, basically like like living hairy bicycles, you know. Yeah. They, they will just go continuously for as long as you need them to, and they don't need to be like fed or brushed. Yes, yes, that is like. First of all, I need now. I need to go buy this book, obviously. Um, so you <laughs> now you now hand you now hand sold me a copy <laughs> of that book. But yeah, like it's I as I am someone who doesn't really understand how horses work at all. Okay. I find them kind of terrifying. They've got like 12 but... knees in each leg. I don't like it. No, they're, it's not safe, okay? Like, they could, <laughs> ki- they could kill you. They could kill you on a whim. So could a cat and... if it put his mind to it. Okay, this... <laughs> okay. No, I'm just terrified. <laughs> but um, I'm vaguely conscious that horses do need to eat and sleep. And like, ha- and they like, can't, can't... They're not like goats. They're not going to go up like... <laughs> 120 degree hell it's not gonna happen <laughs> but in books they can they're amazing they're like motorcycles <laughs> essentially yeah where do we even start on this time oh yeah gooseberry there we go i'm so sorry i warned <laughs> you okay. i warned you <laughs> well you know i mean i i you know i invited you on here to like offer any kind of like observations that you might want to make on the book i didn't just want to be like you sit here quietly while i just like turn pages <laughs> and read a book to you that's that's just an audiobook you know, you, you can get that experience anywhere. As you ride, you have no choices to make. Uh, you know, so having said that, you have no right. choices to make. The, the book has kind of lost its purpose. Uh, Dordle <laughs> just walks on and on, never seeming to hesitate. After an hour or so, Sir Torbeck stirs restlessly and says, I've done lots of things before, but I've never followed a spellbound horse. There's going to be a first time for everything, Jancy says. And you must like first times, Torbeck. You've done so many new things. I do. I don't like to be doing the same thing over and over. That's a dull way to live, the fighter says. But somebody has to do ordinary things, you protest, turning your head. Maybe. But it doesn't have to be me. I want to be able to go when the urge comes over me. I want to be free to follow a whim. I'd like to be like that, you think to yourself, as you ride on in silence. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if you really would, Chantal. I don't know. <laughs> the book does seem to be, like, some telegraphing, telegraphing some, like pretty obvious things yeah then you too begin to be uneasy about letting your horse make all the decisions each time no no chantelle no (laughs) this is like orpheus in the underworld you've been told what you need to do just bloody do it just do it each time the path splits or turns dortle just keeps plodding on as if she has a map in her head you do nothing in a little while torvek says i can't take this anymore i feel useless just sitting here following dortle wherever she goes how do we know about torvek it's all about his needs (laughs) it's like yeah we we know how good your pathfinding ability is mate (laughs) 
How do we know the witch actually gave her the right directions? Granted, you might be a friend of the dragons. No, you exclaim. Well, I don't like being controlled by an enchanted horse. Yeah, your horse probably doesn't like being driven around by, by, a, by a Torbeck. So, <laughs> you know, we all have our crosses to bear, Torbeck. Let's just deal with it. Do you want to go now that the urge has come over you? You ask, mimicking his own words. No, of course not. But I want to remove the spell. You've got those lavender stones. Use them. Grow up, Shandell. Let's get control of our own actions again. That's, no! That's no, a terrible idea, no, Torbeck. No! Don't do it, Shandell, Jancy says. I know, Grantia, she's helping us. We'll get to the dragon's lair. Just be patient. If you want to trust the witch, which I'm guessing you do, and keep letting Dordle lead, or do you want to follow Torbeck's advice and free Dordle from her spell? I'm just going to turn to the page where we trust the <laughs> Yes, witch. please. I don't think we're going to be following uh, Torbeck's advice anytime soon. No, no. I envy you your ability to yield to whim and the lure of adventure, Torbeck, you say. But I'm a jeweller, and I've got to function my plans. Maybe it's not so fun, but it's satisfying. Planning and organising and then doing the actual work to turn raw gold and rough stones into a thing of beauty. Planning, organising, I'm I'm a writer. I can't empathise with that. No. So I'll stick with the plan, Torbeck, and let Dorda lead us to where the witch has directed her. As you ride on, you hear him grumbling about no spirit in the girl. And you've got to live a little. It's like, shut up, Torbeck. We're following the horse. Also, like, <laughs> when is going on a quest to rescue your dad from a... <laughs> dragon not living a little like what what more does torbeck need it's like i, I don't really understand it i am living plenty now torbeck thank you living in i'm i'm, I'm anxious just thinking about this oh <laughs> uh, you think you're anxious now i've just seen where this is going um, oh no <laughs> jancy soon pulls gooseberry up closer to torbeck and tells him some of her own adventures you smile to yourself as you hear her work very hard to impress him with her free spirit when the path divides again dordle hesitates for the first time do you suppose the witch's spell is wearing off you ask concerned but then the horse enters the right-hand path and walks on. Maybe something just didn't feel quite right to her, suggests Jancy. Horses are very sensitive to atmosphere. At least Gooseberry is. Agreeing that she might be right, your attention, too, is suddenly caught by the atmosphere. Something is different on this path. The woods you have been going through was lovely, but quite an ordinary woods. But now it is becoming beautiful. Almost too beautiful. Torbeck, you say. Do you see? The sky is suddenly bluer, and listen to the birds. Have you ever heard them sing so sweetly? Torbeck pulls up beside you. As the two of you dismount, you see his face that he too is feeling the enchantment of this wonderful glade you've entered. A fawn prances across... A fawn prances... Sorry, I thought it said a fawn princess. It's like, oh god, more voices. I can't do any more. No. A fawn prances across the grass ahead of you, and Torbeck's expression softens even more. Willikers, gasps Jancy. Have you ever seen the like? Look, flowers everywhere, and rabbits, and ermine. She slides off Gooseberry and runs around the wonderful glade, inspecting all she sees, both plant and animal alike. Somehow this place doesn't feel real, you say, and you shudder slightly. Maybe that's why Dordle hesitated. She sensed something different. Torbeck's arm moves around you as he says, It's real enough for me, Shandell. Just as real. And please, this is a very difficult time, Kat. Did we, just, we just have to try and get through it together. <sighs> okay, okay. I'm it's, braced. It's real enough for me, Shandell. Just as real and wonderful as you are. And suddenly you know that he's going to kiss you. Not a quick peck on the forehead or even a brush of the lips. Here in this beautiful spot, in this enchanted glade, he is going to kiss you with tongues and everything. <laughs> I may have extemporized again. Um, you feel his breath on your face and your arm starts to move up to his shoulder, almost of its own volition. So, will you let him kiss you? Or no. would you prefer to wait no. for a time when you're thinking more clearly? No kissing. <laughs> yeah. 
We will not be kissing Torbeck today. Or ever. No. No. Suddenly, you feel that the beautiful glade is too enchanted, that Torbeck is going to kiss you because his doing so is part of the enchantment. You don't want to kiss under these circumstances. Looking for reasons to leave the knight's arms, you quickly reach down for the leather pouch. Oh, are the stones still here, you say, trying to sound concerned as you pull the bag from your pocket. You open the bag and the two lavender stones float out, joining the others in the ring around your head. Instantly, the enchanted glade disappears. Oh, you gasp, and Torbeck looks around, startled at the change. What happened? wails Jancy as her hand still in midair, as if she were petting something. The stones must have broken the spell, you say, and then you add sadly. All that beauty must have been a spell. Torbeck smiles and touches your cheek lightly with one finger. Maybe that moment was caused by an enchantment, Shandell. But I don't need to be induced by a magic spell to kiss you. But there will be a real time, and a real place. Good. I'll hold, uh, I'll hold you to that, you say quietly. Uh, why? <laughs> Jancy rejoins you, grumbling. That wasn't very nice of someone, creating all those nice animals just as a magic spell. Why would someone do that? I don't know, Jancy, you say. It was probably an attempt to keep us from getting to the dragon's lair. You all remount your horses, and cr it's quickly clear that the spell the witch put on Dordle has ended. Mm. Suddenly you realise that you've been depending on Dordle to take you where you want to go, and now you have no idea where you are. You ride for hours until well after midnight, always hoping that you'll find something familiar. Eventually weariness makes it difficult to remain in your saddles, and the three of you curl up under your cloak to try to sleep for a few hours. When dawn breaks, you are riding again. As the days pass and you wander aimlessly, Torbeck begins to blame first Jancy for taking you to the witch, and then you for following the witch's advice. Jancy's exuberance is gone. Finally, to avoid fighting with each other, you each withdraw inside yourselves, rarely speaking to one another. When at last you emerge from the forest, in an area where no one has ever heard of a red dragon, the anxiety of being lost has driven Torbeck, Jancy and you into your own little shells. As you say goodbye to the others, more with relief than sorrow, you hope that you can somehow find the ruby dragon's lair, and in it your father, still alive. The end. Oh my god. Yeah. That was, like, that was really bleak. It was. Like, wow. Okay. <laughs> like, every, they've withdrawn into their little shells, like jesus okay this, this book doesn't seem to have middle gears no like that was like i'm I, i'm i feel bad for those characters now and i don't even like them <laughs> like, like they're depressed can, That's sad can there be any greater reflection of the storyteller's art <laughs> to make you give a crap about characters that you don't even like what do you have to do to make it to make it <laughs> like what were the what were the choices that i should have made I want to learn. I want to learn from my mistakes. Like, what should I have done? I think should you... I have gone to see the sage? Like, would that have done it? Possibly. Like, I wonder, was there any salvaging the situation after choosing to go see the witch? I don't know quite how to tell you this, cat, but um, <laughs> I think you might have to kiss Torbeck. What? I think that might. Oh, because it's what? I think we. I think that. I think that's where our where our path diverged. I think. I didn't um... even consider that as a possibility. <laughs> Understandably. And I... it's my literal job to. <laughs> To have characters consider kissing one another. I know. I've I've seen you do it like three times. <laughs> like bad idea kisses are my <laughs> are my brand. Like, like, hmm. And you 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 know you do it well, so I can understand the the quandary that you find yourself in. So what I'm supposed to do is kiss Torback, and then I find my dad. Well, maybe not. Imme there's a maybe maybe not immediately, but I think kissing Torback might be like a gas station on the highway of finding your dad. Okay. But it's a requirement, and there's like, I have to say, there's a, there's some symbolism going on there that I don't quite like. 
Mm. You know, although I don't know why I don't like it. I've I've turned to the page where you have to where you kiss Torbeck, and there's this like really sickly illustration of just. I'm so I'm so happy that I don't that first of all that you're not gonna read me that part, <laughs> and secondly that I don't have to see the illustration. I'm so glad. <laughs> so the I guess the choice that you're faced with now is do we do we go back to that point where to, to where we diverged, and see what happens if we if we have to kiss Torbeck or. Do we just accept that sometimes your dad gets kidnapped by a dragon and you just have to live with it? I really, I feel like I'm just going to accept that my dad got kidnapped. <laughs> I can't, I can't kiss Torbeck. I can respect Sorry. that. That's a decision I can respect. My dad wasn't that great anyway. You know. You know? Like, I'm better off without him. I've got my gold circlet. I got my magic rocks. My horse is okay. I feel you know. like I could probably just start a life and I've, I've been his apprentice so I can set up shop someplace. The dragon's not going to kill him because he is providing a valuable service. If that's what we need to tell ourselves, <laughs> then sure, I don't have a problem just... with that. You know, and and that's kind of you know, it's it's the na- it's the nature of the beast with these books. Sometimes you don't even see the dragon that's mentioned in the title. Sometimes you just get lost in a wood. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's right. I didn't even think about that. Fucking herd that pulled Torbeck. That's right. We didn't even see the dragon. Like, oh my god. We saw it. We saw it in a crystal ball. Let's just. Oh, that's what was the name? What was the title of the book again? Uh, it's called uh, "Ring of the Ruby Dragon" by Jen by ring. Jean by Jean Black. We didn't. We didn't see the ring either. Presumably, that's what Shandal's dad was making. Dor- Darkfell, Lord Darkfell. Yeah. Either. <laughs> who who knows? Do you know what? I I think we might have. I think we were. Su- I think we were supposed to go with Karin. I think. Oh we, my god! I think we were supposed to find his his lack of experience. But enthusiasm, regardless, I think we were supposed to find that endearing. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> That's the moment where it all went wrong. Because <laughs> re- realistically, okay, if we can apply that concept of realistically to the story, like if you're with if the, with the ringed lines dad... and the centaurs, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Like the like your dad's been abducted. You're alone. Like the first person who seems okay and who has a sword, you're gonna be like, yeah, definitely help me out. Oh thank god. Like, That's that's the right thing to do. Like, that's the normal, sane thing to do. And yeah. I chose not to do that. And so I'm going <laughs> to live a life of solitude and despair. That's kind of like, say, like, if, if like, in Lord of the Rings, when the hobbits are in Bree and they meet Aragorn, and he's like, mm-hmm. hey, is, is, is this shit hot ranger dude who, who's, mm-hmm. you know, like, mysterious and a destiny obviously hangs around him. And Frodo's like, mm, we can do better. <laughs> Let's hold out. Let's hold out for somebody more experienced. And then we basically just meet Boromir and we're like, yeah, I got, I got a good feeling about this guy. Um, You're absolutely right. That's what it is. It's Boromir. <laughs> You're totally right. That's kind of what we did. Um, I say we. It was your choice. I was just a bystander. It was me. I you, were just, you just I, were watching the train wreck. I was, yep. ba- I was barely involved. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did you find over, uh, what... what... You know what? What percentage of the Ring of the Ruby Dragon that you got to you got to experience? Uh, how did you find it? I actually really I like the fact that it is entirely powered by fantasy tropes. Every single element in it is something that we that we recognize from other fantasy. Like like we were saying, like there's or as I was insisting like there's no there's you don't need any world building it's just the D <laughs> world like i kind of like that sure like it's a cliche right but in a good way you yeah. know it's, it's i like kind that of, it's like how like you know like fantasy stories that you'd read when you're kids it's like you didn't need to like know about the the underlying like like you know when you when you read the hobbit when you're a kid you don't need to know like all the backstory from like the silmarillion it's you know exactly it's just exactly. like a fantasy story there's like dwarves and a wizard and some you know wolves and goblins 
And then the right, and the dwarves, the dwarves are dwarves, and the wizards are wizards, and they all behave like dwarves and wizards, respectively. <laughs> and you know, that's like a, it's a comforting familiarity. It's another world, but it's another world that operates according to rules that we already know. Um, I, I know from sort of from from having quite a reasonable, reasonably sized collection of game books, and a lot of them are fantasy, and a lot of them are even like Dungeons and Dragons fantasy. Mm-hmm. You, there tends not to be that much in the way of world building. It's just right. You know the kind of things you get in fantasy books. Yes. And it's just like you know, it doesn't need to explain why there's suddenly a witch. It's just like there's a witch. You get witches in fantasy. You know, like a witch. And right, right. We um, we were like my my kids have gotten to the age where we can play games with them. I think they're ten and eight. But I think I thought that they were too young to do Dungeons and Dragons, and also like I didn't want them to have the memory of playing Dungeons and Dragons with their parents. Like that seemed like that seemed like it would be like an uncomfortable thing for them to think about later. Like I don't know. <laughs> like I don't even know. Like, I'm probably over anyway, so I get I got a game that was supposed to be for kids. But the world is a different world. And so my husband and I looked at this and we were just like, this seems great, but I don't think I have like the the mental bandwidth to figure out an entire different world. You know, yeah. You have your mages and you have your wizards, but there's like no, there's no orcs, there's no dwarves. You know, um, everybody has motivations that are slightly nicer than typical fantasy motivations. The game is the game is Little Wizards though, which is a really cute name, and it's a cute game. That's probably something I'm going to look into. Um, uh, Christy, who uh, co-hosts uh, the Wreckers podcast mm-hmm. with me, uh, she actually started playing D and D with her kids recently, and I think they're both like under five. So oh really? They've had to like sort of okay. they've had to like tailor it <laughs> for them. So interesting. Uh, I know, okay. I know that um one of her kids one of her kids' character became very upset when they found out that they couldn't befriend the monsters and just basically sat down in the middle of a field and I think went to sleep. <laughs> like see, yes, I like one of the nice things about the little wizard game is that they can do that. Do you know what I mean? Like you like the person who's the like game master, which obviously is is me you know like (laughs) like you can you can you can make it so that they can talk to whatever animal and it's you can just you can tailor the storytelling so that that kind of thing is okay Uh, and they can cooperate a lot which is yeah it's like a short it's like a really short little book and I think it's it's from some French game guy whose name is escaping me (laughs) but but um but like but yeah we've we've gone through the book by now even though it's um like I said, it's not entirely the same game experience that that I'm used to. Mm. Well, like we may just need to go full whole hog and do the Dungeons and Dragons. Kids, this is a D twenty. Don't put it up your nose. Um, <laughs> we may um, just need to do that. I've met like gamers in their forties who have to be reminded about stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, <laughs> that that's kind of why I like game books. Um, because it was you know for me that was a kind of like ga- it was a kind of like that kind of experience I could have as a kid who didn't have any friends. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I could just like, yes. oh, all right, fine. I get, you know, I've got some dice and the vague ability to recognize numbers. I'll just do this by myself then. But yes, I'm kind of, in a way, I'm kind of disappointed we didn't get to see much of the romance aspect of Ring of the Ruby Dragon because that's kind of what sets it <laughs> apart from, you know, because because a lot of that was just a game book that you might get from, you know, like Endless Quest or Fighting Fantasy mm-hmm. or choose your own adventure yes i'm i'm pretty sure we looking back i think like it was kind of like we was we literally we were literally 
you know, like like Miranda in The Tempest, we were literally supposed to just latch on to the first man our age that we see. Yes. It's oh like, my god. It's like, okay, yes. you, you'll do. What's your name? That's Karen? exactly what it is. Okay. Uh, I yeah. also like how the older, like the older, more experienced fighter is 25. <laughs> <laughs> that gave me pause. Yeah. Well, you know, they, you know, they live in this kind of like medieval agrarian world. You know, that could be middle aged. Totally, yeah, you know, he's, you know. he's ready to go at any time. You know, you'll be thinking about. You know, he's like, oh, I'm nearly thirty. I'll be thinking about retiring soon. <laughs> would you? It's like, would you sort of seek out, like, say, say, like, you know, if you were in like a used bookstore or like a a flea market and you saw a heart quest book, would you be tempted now? Hmm. I think I would. I think <laughs> I would. Yeah, I would cheat the whole way through. <laughs> you know. But like, but but that goes without saying. And also, you know what? Like, I flip to the ends of all books before I, you know what I mean? Like, I always flip to the end of books, so it's not even that different. It's not I, really cheating. I don't know it's what just you sort mean. Of the, the the thing you're describing is literally inconceivable to me. Really? Yeah. Really? Like, look, it's this is like the biggest divide in personality. Like, we can just completely scrap like Myers Briggs <laughs> test and all of that. Like the only, like the only, um. Thing that matters whether whether a person is usually punctual okay that's that's one and the other is whether they flip to the ends of books before they finish like at the beginning you know I'd, like those are the two core personality traits i'd suggest the third category which you know uh, you know a tea cozy which is the, the yes. cover you put on a teapot mm-hmm. to keep it warm mm-hmm. if left alone in a room with one would you put it on your head i think that's like the third category that they need oh to yeah be. Right. Like, see, like, I would, would, wear... I, would I do it right away? I wouldn't do it right away. But, like, it's it's, it's going on in my head eventually. As, as time goes on, it's like, ha, ah, now I am the Pope of tea time. Um... <laughs> I mean, I might start by putting it on the dog's head, right? <laughs> like, to trick myself that I wasn't going to put it on my head now. To, to work up to it. It's going on my head. It's like, we're, we're, it's just going have, on my head. we're just having, like, a cute Instagram, Instagram time right now with the dog wearing a thing on its head. But it's, like, <laughs> behind closed doors, that, you know, that... <laughs> That that cro- that crocheted chicken is going on my head the second all of the human eyes have reverted for me, <laughs> and maybe even before that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kat, thank you again so much for thank joining me. Thank you so me. much. No, I had a great time. I've I've it had was a, like I've had a simply wonderful time. Um, it was it really sorry. was like you said interactive audiobook experience, <laughs> and like I'm a big fan of audiobooks, so it was like you read me the story like with the voices and everything, you know, which I which I true. <laughs> Which I truly appreciate. I got to ruin the lives of <laughs> an entire world. Like I destroyed a whole peaceful agrarian society. It's it's very rare for a writer to you know to not ruin lives of um, characters that they created. You know, true. You, this is true. You this get is to true. You get to ruin someone else's character's lives. I get um, someone else's character, and <laughs> and I don't have to fix it. <laughs> you know, you just <laughs> you just look at the mess you've created and go, well, never mind. <laughs> She had it coming, you Shit. know, like these people were terrible from the beginning. Shit happens, Chandel, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, so, uh, again, Cat Sebastian has been my wonderful guest on this episode of Reuse Your Old Adventures. You can find at Cat S. Writes on Twitter. Uh, find her books wherever you prefer to buy your books from. Uh, this is going out at the end of March, and you have a new book that's coming out in April? Yes, middle right. of April. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yes. I'll, I will be pre-ordering that the next time i go to the bookstore so uh, and again cat just thank you for joining me and sorry no, thank you. sorry sorry that we never actually got to see the dragon i know right maybe, well i'll use my imagination maybe It'll be next, okay <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe sometime in the future you can come back on and we'll like we'll just get to the part where we meet the first dude and we're like yeah all right come on it's all right we, we know 
Let's just the dragon. Sends all offline lines. Yeah, y- you. Work, ex- work, ex- work experience night boy let's go um, so this has been reuse your old adventures an interactive audiobook experience my guest has been Kat Sebastian Cat. thank you so much for coming on thank you thank you no thank you actually I think you're fine <laughs> um, I'll be back again next month uh, with another guest to try and get some use out of this collection of uh, ratty old books I have from the 80s so thank you for listening bye you may also say goodbye if you wish oh bye <laughs> <laughs>